Welcome to the Questions of Life podcast. I'm Kath, I'm joined by Donald. Hello. And we're joined by some people with us in the church. Hey, listen to them, fantastic. In our session today, we are talking about questions about faith and mental ill health. I hope you find our discussions helpful. So we're talking about questions around faith and mental ill health. And as I said, I think this is an area that at times has been misunderstood miscommunicated. I think there's a lot of stigma attached to the whole phrase mental health, mental ill health. In fact, I know a very good friend of mine who refuses to use that term uh, and talks about it being an illness of the brain, like an illness in any other part of your body, just because of the stigma that they have received. And if you look back uh, throughout history, you'll see that uh, mental ill health and the care for those who struggle in this area hasn't been great. So in the 1950s, people with mental health problems were considered lunatics and defective and were sent off to asylums. Insanity, which is how they would describe somebody with mental health issues, was thought to be incurable and there was no incentive to treat it. And there was no money invested into the healthcare systems to begin to understand it and to treat it. Now, things have improved and have moved on considerably, I would say, since the 1950s to today, which is a good thing, because actually there are many people who would say that in one way or another, they struggle in this whole area. So I came up with some statistics that I found. One point, sorry, one in four people experience mental health issues each year. That's in the UK. So one in four of us. So there are probably 10 people here tonight. So at least two of us in this room right now are struggling in some form or other with our mental health. 792 million people are affected by mental health issues worldwide. So this isn't just confined to our country into the Western world. This is something that we see in every section of society and in every country around the world. At any given time, one in six working age adults have symptoms associated with mental ill health. And I thought this was a really interesting fact. Women between the ages of 16 and 24 are three times as likely to experience a common mental health issue as males of the same age. Quite often you'll hear about a woman possibly talking about their struggles in this area, less so I think for men, perhaps there's more stigma. And we'll talk about the stigma and we'll talk about these things as we go on. But I think we've been through a really tough year, this whole coronavirus pandemic. And I think many people have seen, if they've already experienced mental health issues, maybe an increase uh, in them. And for some others, they've begun to realize that maybe they too are struggling in ways that perhaps they weren't through the pandemic. So it's brought to the surface in many people uh, a lot of questions about mental ill health and a lot of questions about themselves and how do I move on from this? What do I do? And I think perhaps Christianity hasn't always been at the forefront of the discussion about helping those people that struggle in this area. I think sometimes it has been something where people have felt, I'm stigmatized, I'm weak, I don't have a great faith if I admit to having mental health issues. 
And again, we want to explore that as we go through this evening. But we want to say at the beginning about our church. Do you want to just say something about uh, how we've been developing and evolving just various strategies and papers on caring for those who are struggling in this area? It's something that's really, really important to us. Yeah, it's something that, that I've been in Christian work for, for 30 odd years and it's a big part of, of what I've worked with is, is supporting, walking alongside folks who are struggling in one way or another. And we've recognised that sometimes the debate has been unhelpful so we try to define what we mean by terms and that's really important, we'll perhaps come back to that. What we believe uh, as Christians around this whole area. So yeah, there's a, there's a working document that, that as leaders we work to, that we've discussed and that we, we hold to. So we've, yeah, we've thought a lot about the things that we're going to talk about tonight. And we want to be a church that's welcoming. We want to be a church that doesn't put barriers up. Mm. A church, as you're going to talk about in a moment, that recognises that there is a spectrum involved in mental health and that all of us at different times struggle in different ways. Uh, and so we want to be a church that recognises that and recognises the different ways that God works in people's lives and mm -hmm. God helps and equips uh, and begins to treat people uh, mm. to different degrees that are struggling mm. in this area. What I thought would be interesting to do at the beginning would be to kind of lay our cards on the table and for you and I to maybe just uh, declare our experience personally of mental health and perhaps just some of, just explain some of the areas that we've been involved in mental health and helping other people. So if you kick that off, Donald, tell us a bit about you. Um, well, I think first thing to say is that I do believe that every human being suffers from mental ill health at some point or other, just as we all suffer from ill health. I've had a cold or uh, flu or whatever. I've had lots of bouts of illness in my life. I've not been hospitalised. But I have on occasion gone to see the doctor about something. But in the main, I've had good health, but I've been unwell at times. Mm -hmm. We're going to define... For me, there's five kind of areas of mental ill health, and all of us, to some degree, experience those. So one of those five areas for me is prolonged sadness and a sense of heaviness with the day and, and feeling that life is difficult. Now, I've gone through that, and I think most human beings have gone through that. Some people get very stuck there, some people can't understand how they've got there. Sometimes it's because of a, an event or a bereavement. So I've experienced those kind of things. One of the other areas is uh, where we think irrationally and we are unable to stop thoughts that don't make sense. I have a very minor area of that, that which doesn't require me to have medication or hospitalization. But today, when I left my house to walk my dog, I went back three times having walked 100 yards to check that I'd shut the front door. It's a slightly obsessional thing that happens. I get very cross with myself. And the only way to stop it is to say very loudly, I have seen the door and it is shut. Yes. But what happened the first time was I was thinking about something else. Mm -hmm. I got down the road and I thought, did I shut the front door? So I went back. But as I started to go back, I started to think about the thing that was worrying me. And it does happen when I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about the thing that was worrying me. And somehow or other, I then realised I was now walking away again and I couldn't remember. <laughs> 
whether I checked it. Although I'd gone back to check it because I started to think about the thing yeah. that I was worrying about. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So on the third time, and the dog's pretty cross by this point, <laughs> and I'm annoyed with myself. Now that, what I'm saying is all of us are yeah. on a spectrum. Mm. And we're going to talk about that aspect in a minute or two. The other part of my work is listening and praying with people and offering support and care and counsel. And one of the things I have to do is sometimes work out at what point perhaps a person needs medical intervention. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not a medical expert. And some of the language in terms that I'm going to use, medic, medical-minded people will perhaps disagree or have a different understanding. I've got a fair amount of experience of beginning to discern when does a person need to go and see a doctor. Mm. And I'll talk about that in a few moments. What are the kind of things I'm looking for? Mm. Excellent. I think for me, I've also, you know, given counsel and spoken with and journeyed with people that have struggled in lots of different ways. Mm. I think I've also, just sitting here thinking about it, I've also struggled in lots of different ways with my, with my mental health. I think I've had two quite serious bouts of depression that have required me to be on antidepressants. I think I've also had agoraphobia where I couldn't leave the house for a good number of months where I also couldn't go out into public places. Uh, I still struggle with my mental health now. So we're sitting on these chairs in this church, which is fantastic for me because um, people can't see the platform back home. But we have a platform that stands out above the rest of the church. My mental health issues make it very, very difficult for me to stand on the platform without having a panic attack. So chairs are the way forward. I love just sitting on a chair. It's fantastic. Um, so for me, this is a live issue. This is something that in the past has been far worse. I manage it. Lots of different ways that I manage it. So what we're talking about tonight is something that we've both experienced ourselves, but also we've had a lot of experience of a lot of different people in different situations with different experiences of the range of uh, mental ill health. And hopefully we can bring some wisdom and some insight into that. We don't have all the answers. We're not medical experts. Uh, but we're going to just try and unpack this and explore it and just bring God into it. And where does God fit into it? Where does faith fit into it? Uh, and where do some other practical and helpful things fit into the whole equation? So firstly, then, you've, you've talked about there being a spectrum of... Uh, mental health. Do you want to begin to just explore? You said there were five different things. Do you want to just unpack yeah. that for us? Yeah. So, so the five th areas for me, and others may there may be six, and I've forgotten one. There may be experts may have fifty-seven. I don't know, but I think of five different areas. So the one is uh, sadness, mm -hmm. unhappiness, just the grey. The sky is grey, and there's, it's low mood. Mm. And all of us experience that um, at different times, but sometimes it can become debilitating. And all of this is the scale at which we start to need different interventions are when the particular thing becomes debilitating. Yeah. So there is, and, and the word depression means different things for different people. Um, 
in its loosest sense, every human being experiences depression in the sense of perhaps bereavement, things like that are a form of depression. But uh, um, the, 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 the end of the spectrum where that needs more specific treatment is where that becomes really stopping life. So there is what I call low mood sadness. The second area would be for me uh, thought patterns that you can't stop thinking about. You can't sort of switch off. So you're going in a loop perhaps or continually dwelling on something, obsessing about something and however much people try to distract you, you can't. And again, that's the spectrum. So when I've had very, very bad news, something distressing has happened to somebody or something in my life, I might sit and watch, the TV might be on, but I'm not really, I can't concentrate on it mm -hmm. because my mind is going over that thing that's happened. So that's a normal part where we, well, I'm experiencing ill health like a in a sense, like a cold. It's not debilitating me because it will pass, perhaps after a night's sleep, perhaps after a few minutes, perhaps after the shock of what's happened. But for sometimes that, that thought pattern that can't be changed gets really stuck for hours or days or months. And that's when it becomes really serious. Mm -hmm. Third area would be the whole area of fear and anxiety, as you were talking about. And again, all of us experience fear and anxiety. Always will be fearful or anxious of things that other people aren't fearful or anxious of. But the point at which that might become more de debilitating, where it's stopping us doing something, as you were talking about agoraphobia or panic attacks, where the fear is really unbreakable and you can't seem to go through it. Mm -hmm. So again, we're all on that spectrum, but at, at one end, that, that's where there, there is real uh, mental ill health. Uh, the fourth area is, is what I would call delusional or unreal thoughts, where our sense of, our sense of reality has got lost. So to, we laughed about it, but my reality that the door was shut, it's a minor thing. But there are far more serious ones, like paranoia, where we are convinced that people are talking about us or are hurting us. Delusional things, where we begin to see things that aren't there. Uh, we um, are hearing things that aren't being said. So that's a very serious end. Um, so that, that's the, the fourth area. Um, and my mind's gone blank on what my fifth area was. Um, <laughs> Oh, self-harming. So the fifth area is where we, are, we wish to harm ourselves, either uh, um, punishing ourselves and putting ourselves through difficult experiences or physically self-harming us all the way through to suicide. So all of those five areas, there's a mild form which every one of us will experience at different points in our life probably and will deal with it, come through it with support, with prayer, with talking to somebody, we'll come through it. And that's normal. Just as we'll all get a cold, we'll come through it. Mm -hmm. But for some of us, those things become more serious and other interventions are needed. So what do you think causes us to experience those things? So I think generally 
there are three practical causes, and then we can talk about spiritual causes in a moment, but the three practical causes are how I, the language I would use is, is, is the first thing is reactive. Mm -hmm. So something has happened in recent times and our natural response is of anxiety or sadness or shock or something like that, a bereavement, um, uh, an, an, an assault, somebody saying something really hurtful to us. We know that that's going to rock us. We're not just going to laugh it off and say that's fine. It's going to affect us emotionally and it's going to need to be processed and it's going to need to take time. And if it's a severe trauma, say a road accident or something like that, then that's going to be quite difficult to come through and to, to get through. Um, but you know why it's happened. Yep. And that's one whole area. And because, and treating reactive mental ill health is, has a set of things to do. Um, the second area, and often mental illness, the severe mental illness is often a combination of all three. It's where they collide that we're really in trouble. So the second area is what I would call uh, historic reactive or chronic reactive situations. In other words, things from our childhood, things that have gone on for a long time in our lives that have shaped the way we perceive and think about life. So perhaps really critical parents, perhaps some kind of abusive relationship, perhaps some kind of uh, trauma that happens a long time ago, and it's become habitual as to how we perceive life because of it. So it's not something that happened last month, it's something that's happened for years, but it's, it's become like a set of sunglasses or colored glasses that we see the world through that. Um, so for example, if, if you had a, such a childhood that you couldn't trust your, what your parents were telling you because they were habitual liars, perhaps, you grow up with that inability to trust and that creates all kinds of, of mental ill health because you don't know whether people are telling you the truth. That creates all kinds of anxiety. It can create all kinds of fears. Sometimes children bury it. They cope. We often say children are resilient. Well, they're often not resilient. They're often just stuffed it away and it will come back in adult life. So that whole area of our mind is, is reacting to something that happened many years ago is the second big area. And that needs very often different, sometimes similar, but often different interventions than, than simply reacting to something that's happened recently. And then the third big area is where the, the body itself is physically unwell. Either there's been a brain injury, there's been some sort of um, bang to the brain and that's caused an impairment or a stroke or something like that. Or uh, there has been the, inter the, the misuse of drugs that's caused the brain to uh, misfire. So I have I've, a 
lot of anecdotal evidence that cannabis will cause paranoia mm. for many, many people. Mm. I just see that again and again in my office, that because cannabis relaxes you, as you, get, you habitually use cannabis to relax, when you stop taking cannabis, you don't feel relaxed and you begin to feel everything's going wrong. I can't prove that. I can just say I've seen a lot of that. But there can also be um, times when the brain itself just is unwell. It, 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 whether there's a chemical deficiency, a biological issue, just as in every other part of life, our body degenerates, our body deteriorates. Why we gain other illnesses, whether it's, you know, why some people have diabetes and others don't, why some people um, have rheumatism or arthritis or, or whatever it is. For some people, the brain is deficient in a particular chemical. Sometimes it's an unknown chemical and we don't know what it is, but it's not got the right, it's, not, it's going too fast or it's imagining things or it's hearing things. So there is, in that case, almost certainly the need for medication to correct whatever chemically is going wrong in the brain. So there are those three areas. It's often complex because there's often a combination and there's often uh, difficulties that, that trigger one or other of those aspects. That's all on one level. <laughs> On the, a different level, if you like, on a spiritual level. Uh, all mental illness, in one sense, is an attack. It's, 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 it's from the powers and forces and the devil, if you like, it's saying we don't want human beings to enjoy life. We want to rob them of joy and peace. So there's an element where it's not from God. It's not God's desire or intention. It's, it's stuff that's a result of the broken and fallen world. So that's, those are, that's how I would see it. It's interesting listening to what you're talking about and reflecting on my experiences. I would say often it is a combination. So as I look probably back at my first bout of depression, I would say that that was, and probably my agoraphobia, that was stuff that I'd been through difficult situations that I had buried, that I hadn't dealt with, that, that just came to the surface and were overwhelming. And particularly the agoraphobia, I think I had learned to adapt the way that I was living. It completely changed what I could and I couldn't do. And I, could, I just got transfixed with, I can't go out. I can't do this. I can't go shopping. And I had to set myself a load of parameters and then I could go out, and even then it was a complete nightmare. So I could only go out if it was before 10 o'clock in the morning, because there wouldn't be many people there. I could only go out if I could park the car near to where I needed to be, or there was an exit, or, you know, it was just horrific. The issue wasn't me going out. The issue was a load of stuff that I had suppressed that was just coming back and manifested itself in anxiety, in panic, and in depression. But then the most recent bout of depression that I had came after I had glandular fever. So it then went into post-viral fatigue. And there's a real link between post-viral fatigue and depression. But also thrown into the mix, my brother died. So you've got this perfect storm of someone who's already a little bit um, 
not the strongest with their mm. mental health. And then you throw post-viral fatigue in and you throw a, a death, a very sudden and difficult death in. Well, that is, that is the perfect storm. Mm. Uh, and I, I, I couldn't cope. Mm. And uh, that was probably about 10 years ago. And for me, I found it really difficult. I came and talked to you, uh, and, and you were great. Talked to you and John. I was really honest about how I was feeling. But as a church leader, you're just like, well, what are people going to think of me? There is just this real stigma attached to mental health. Why do you think that is? Because you sit there and very eloquently explain why we have mental health. Why has it been so misinterpreted and stigmatized and seen as something that people don't want to talk about, you're ashamed or you're embarrassed. You know, you break your arm, there's not that shame and embarrassment. Well, it depends how you do it. Mm. I mean, if you're like you jumping off your wardrobe onto your bed when you're however many years old, then that's... I didn't break my arm You didn't doing break it. your arm doing I broke it. the floor. You just floor. broke the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be clear. I, I was perfectly all right. It was the floor that didn't I hope survive. your mum's not watching this. Um, but yeah, what, where does this come from? This is what I don't understand. This is one of those things that even today, people find it very hard to say, I am struggling in this area. Why? Because it's I, legitimate. I think there are lots of reasons. I think, let's take British culture. I think British culture is a stiff upper lip that we need to get on with it. We need to stop complaining. And we tend to criticise people who we... In this, in this nation, the culture has been you criticise people who, comp who are not as... Who are, who are moaning or complaining. We want to just get on with life, be strong. And so I think there is... We've inherited from... Maybe from the, 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 you know, my parents' generation who went through the, the war mm -hmm. and you just didn't complain, mm -hmm. you just got on with it. And anybody who complained... Was was weak, and that sense. I think there's a cultural thing there in our nation, which is really, really unhelpful. I think then there was this whole area of the fear. You talk about the 1950s and the, you know, the asylums, and they were very distressing mm -hmm. places. The treatment, electrotherapy, and all mm -hmm. of that, exceedingly distressing. So there's a big fear of of being placed in those kind of places. So that's another reason to keep quiet. Mm. I think then, unhelpfully, from a Christian point of view, there is sometimes a perception that, well, it's more than perception, sometimes it's explicitly taught that, you know, if you're a Christian, you should be joyful all the time, it, which, you know, it, I, it's difficult. A, it's a misunderstanding of the word joy. But if you see Jesus in Gethsemane, mm -hmm. he is struggling Absolutely. If you if you listen to the way Paul describes being hard pressed and mm. and uh, beaten and, and all of that, if you thorn listen in to his flesh, the thorn in the flesh. If you listen to the way um, uh, Elijah speaks, mm. if you listen to the way yeah. Jeremiah speaks, even if you listen to the way Moses speaks, yeah. it's it's clear that um, a sort of Fake happiness is not what the Bible portrays, mm -hmm. and yet sometimes there is a, a pressure that if I, if I love God, then I should be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. If I love God, I will experience bereavement. Yeah. I, will ex I will grieve. Mm -hmm. I will weep over a city and, it, and mm -hmm. the things that are destructive and damaging in it. And I, 
so there's a, there's a, I think sometimes in British culture there's a perfect storm of this sort of stiff upper lip and this sort of misunderstanding of, of what joy and peace mm. looks like. Mm. Um, and all of that then, I think the, the third area, big area now is the whole shaming culture and we're so frightened of being bullied. We're so frightened of social media, which we've talked about a lot before, that of, of any weakness is criticized, is exploited. And one of the ways many of us feel better about ourselves is to put somebody else down. Mm -hmm. And if we can find something that we think we're superior on, then we can put them down. So yeah. all of those things combined to, to make it a, a stigma, whereas actually it's just simply saying all of us will go through mm -hmm. these things and for some of us we will need uh, outside help yeah. and for some of us we will need medical help. Mm -hmm. um, but all of us, uh, you know, it's the same with it's physical health. All of us get unwell Mm. and we manage it and the body heals itself and that's fine and we don't think it's a stigma and we don't pretend that we don't that we've got a we don't deny that we've got a headache or we don't deny that we've got toothache or we don't deny that we've pulled a muscle so it's for some reason with well, the kind of reasons I've talked about we've we don't allow ourselves that that grace I'm going to come back to that in just a moment <clears throat> because there's some more that I want to ask you about that I've had uh, a message in and um, it's from Lisa. She said, it's so sad this subject is very misunderstood. I myself have experienced stigma in the workplace. Either folk don't know what to say or are frightened to speak at all. All I actually wanted was a cuppa and a chat. Mm. But obviously now with restrictions, that can't happen, which makes this worse. Since lockdown, my own mental health has deteriorated and trying to get support from the services has actually made the problem worse. I even contemplated taking my life and have self-harmed. I've never felt so frightened and alone. I see it as a disease in my brain, mm. but because it can't be seen and I put on an act, it goes unnoticed. I have folk praying for me. And even when I didn't feel God near me, I just kept saying to myself, he's with me. And over time, the fog is lifting and I feel more in control. She says, my top tips are, I love this, it's okay not to be okay. Absolutely, That's brilliant. That's just so important. Stay in the moment. Don't think too much about the next hour. Rest when you get tired. Try, if possible, to talk to someone, even if it's sending an emoji, if things get worse. If things get more serious, I would suggest the Samaritans. Hope this helps. Thank you ever so much, Lisa, just for your honesty and for sharing That's that That's really with helpful, us. yeah. Um, I've got another message in from uh, Annie. Evening to Annie and evening Lisa as well. Uh, one of the main causes of mental ill health is down to poverty slash debt and health inequalities. This is something that my work are very passionate about tackling. Stigma is a huge problem. Have a think about how many derogatory terms are used to describe a person with poor mental health. Nutter, crazy, schizo, etc., versus positive terms for mental health. You'll find the derogatory terms outweigh the positive ones, such as well, 
20 to 1, this needs to change. Mm. I think our society is changing. I think we're talking about it more. I think we have people like the princes in the royal family. Mm. Uh, they've talked about their struggles with uh, mental health. Um, and so I think people are trying to address it, trying to make it less of something that is a stigma. I think some people don't know what to say and don't know what to do, and we'll come on to that a little bit later on. But as the church, and not just Sutton Baptist, but the church as a whole, I think sometimes there has been this unsaid or said perception that you shouldn't struggle from mental health, that you should have more faith, you should trust God more, you should pray more, you should read the Bible, and you will be okay. That it kind of diminishes all that you've talked about, puts it in a very different category to every other illness. Although some people would also say, actually, if you want to be healed from those things, you need to do these things. Where does that come from? And how unhelpful is it? I can't really answer where it comes from uh, because... It's, it's, I don't see it in the Bible. Yeah. So one of the most significant stories in the Old Testament is, is a story of a guy called Job, who is, he loses everything. And three guys come, and they're, you may have heard the phrase, Job's comforters, and it's a sarcastic term, because they offer no comfort. Yeah. Now, there are other points of the story, but in the main, he's incredibly low because he's lost everything. Yeah. And they tell him that he needs to have faith, that he needs to confess what he's done wrong, that he needs to cheer up. And ultimately, God steps in and shuts them up. Um, the Psalms, I, I couldn't... My guess is between a third and a half of them are what we would call laments. They are where people cry out to God. And mm -hmm. we've talked before about the real value in prayer of being honest before God. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure which parts, which version of the Bible folks are reading who cannot see the sense of God meeting people at a place of anguish and mm -hmm. a place of despair and a place of difficulty. And, and so for me, it's really important to start off by saying we we. It's really helpful just to be honest with God. I, I'm, you know, my soul is downcast is a phrase that's used a number yeah. of times. I, am, I cannot see what is going on, God. I'm struggling just to be honest with him. And um, ultimately, if, if, you, if we take the bereavement, because I think that's the easiest and most clear-cut one. If somebody sent to me and said, as a Christian, you should not be sad over a bereavement. I would yeah. think that was madness. Yeah, because that would show I didn't love the person that I'd lost. So it's madness to say we, can't, we don't have low moods. Mm. What I do believe, and I've seen this again and again and again, is how those low moods are far harder to deal with without God. Mm. And that God brings a peace, sometimes a deliverance, sometimes a healing, but always a strength. Mm -hmm. And even Lisa's talking about, you know, where is God? And yet coming through it. And uh, wherever we are, 
I believe God makes a really significant difference to walk through the valley with us, mm. to hold our hands, to not let us go, to keep us through the storm, through the fire. There's all kinds of metaphors in, in the mm. Bible of this kind of wilderness experience, and God goes with us through it. Mm. He doesn't condemn, he doesn't abandon. Mm. And those who come on the outside and say, you need to cheer up, are yeah. explicitly, uh, to my mind, uh, refuted in the Bible. So let's move that on then to look at somebody struggling in this area. Our starting point in facing it and in coping with it and beginning to hopefully move on a bit with it is God. Mm. That's always our starting point. So we're, we're not denying the need to be praying, to be reading our Bible, to have other people pray for us. That lies at the heart of everything that we're saying. Our belief is we turn to God. Mm. God doesn't bring mental ill health into our lives. Mm. Uh, sometimes we can not help ourselves. if We talk about drug use and things like that. But it's not God's punishment. It's not God's judgment. It's not because we have done something wrong. It's part of a fallen world. Mm. It's part of having fragile human bodies that are prone to sickness and to illness. Mm. Um, and God's passionately interested in the struggling, the suffering, the depressed, the anxious, the panicked, all of those spectrum that we've talked about, God cares passionately. Mm. And, and so our starting point is to turn to God, mm. always. Yeah. And out of that place, everything else comes. Yeah, yeah. So my, my, I would say we, we begin by saying, God, help me. Yep. God, will you... And we pray out and we cry out to him. Mm -hmm. And on the, 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 the mild end of the spectrum, that will be sufficient for many of us in many situations that between us and God, we come through it. But the next step, I would say, is to talk to someone. Mm -hmm. Because what we need to identify, I think, is which of those three things are at play... Is this reactive? Is this because of what happened last week? Yeah. Is this because of something that I've buried from the past? Or is this something where my body is not functioning correctly? Or could it be, I mean, we've had a question in that I'm just going to throw in here as well. Could it be that actually um, it's the spiritual affliction that is, that is causing it? Uh, so Pete says, I have a question about how you think the church nationally and even internationally deals with the link between mental health and spirits. Do you think it's possible that people who are receiving treatment through mental health professionals really need deliverance to get better? So do you think there's a, a percentage of people whose mental health could be caused by uh, spirits? I keep using the word spectrum, and I apologise. Yeah. I don't quite know how to use it in a different language. I think that, that ultimately all illness, mental and physical, is not what God wants. Therefore, it comes from a, de a demonic origin. I think that when in, 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 in most of our life, we, you mix up trying to resist temptation and also to do practical steps. So I think there are, in, 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 
I think that Satan, the devil, will use our sadness or our anxiety or our fear. He will use that and, and twist it, make it worse, whatever. So therefore, praying against that, having someone who pray with us, trying to recognize that is really, really helpful and important to do. I think that at the extreme end of things, where we knowingly, and, I, and knowingly is the really important word, where we have knowingly invited a spiritual power other than Jesus into our experience, then that may have quite a damaging effect on us that will need repentance mm -hmm. and it will need deliverance and that may then be seen in a physical or emotional uh, healing. Mm -hmm. So what I want to say is that if, if we invite other spirits, other forces to help us, that may damage us mentally. Mm -hmm. That is not the same as saying that it's likely that mental illness will have been caused by by a spirit or whatever. But at the root of it, there will be. Um, so I don't know if I, whether I'm quite making myself clear. So, so I think always to try and work out where's the temptation, where's the spiritual pressure. As part of my prayer, I pray against Satan using this. I pray against giving in or whatever it is. Do all of that. Where I know that I have allowed, turn to, or in my past life, been involved with other spirits, then yes, that will need to be dealt with. And that then may bring uh, other uh, um, healing. My rule of thumb is this, just that, that uh, in, in Western culture, that kind of invitation to spirits is, is we're in a secular culture. It's, it's much rarer. It's not unknown, but it's much rarer. In other cultures where there is animalistic uh, witchcraft, worshipy stuff, it's much, much, much more common. My rule of thumb is basically this. If I pray for someone and I ask Jesus to come and, he f and ask him to bring peace, and there is a measure of calmness or just quietness or whatever it is, then I think, I don't worry that something spiritual is in the room. Twice in my life, I have prayed for someone and they suddenly become violent. Mm -hmm. And that's the point where I look at what happens in the New Testament, where Jesus encounters encounters demonic spirits and he has to and he drives them out and he deals with them and where they clash with Jesus mm. most of my experience in British culture with extreme delusional behaviour is that praying calms it down and therefore I felt that people needed medical intervention yeah. as I say a couple of times there's been a much different reality in there for one prays as well as mm -hmm. seeking medical intervention. 
So those are incredibly rare. They're rare in our, in our culture. In our yeah. culture. Yeah. And, then, and the, the big thing is I, I encounter so many people who are frightened. Yes. And God is stronger than the fear. The yeah. fear of this is far more damaging in our culture than the reality. Yeah. A person will know what they've done yes. and what they've opened the door to and what they've invited in, mm -hmm. in my view. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if you don't know, don't worry about it. Yeah, if there's been no invitation, if you look back and there's, there's, there's nothing there, then that's absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. You don't need to consider that. So it's likely to be the three that you were talking about earlier. Mm. So how do and you all begin... of that, yeah. How do you begin to work out then? So we, we have God at the centre of it. You're saying at this end of the spectrum, it may be that praying and reading a Bible and just being honest with God, that helps, that brings peace and strength and meets you in that and you're able to negotiate your way through it. But then as we get further up the scale of things, perhaps having a more derogatory and um, limiting effect upon mm. your life and your ability to live... Where do you go from there? So I think that I think it's crucial to talk, and it's crucial to talk it out because, as you, for me, we're looking to, to go through those three areas. Is this a reaction to something that's happened? Is this something that I've buried, or has been part of my life for a long time, or is this something that's physical, gone wrong? Yeah. And yet you have to go through it in that order. So you ask the easy yeah. question first. The easy question is. What's gone on? And very often, we don't really work that out until we talk to somebody. So again and again, I will find him, when I talk to somebody, I'll ask them what's gone on, and they'll talk about it. And after a little while of them describing what's happened in the last six months, they'll go, I suppose that's been quite difficult for me, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and you don't realise it yes. until you talk it out, that yes, you've lost your job, and yes, yes. there's been this argument, and, and yes, there's financial worries yeah. and, and all of these pressures that have built up and built up and they're like a pressure cooker and they go round and round mm. in your mind and actually just talking it out yeah. is hugely helpful and begin to say, okay, that's why that's happened. I need to give myself time to yeah. get over it. I need to deal with that. So I think talking is absolutely crucial to try and process and and linked to that then is to, to work out actually I've thought this for years mm -hmm. and this goes back to that event in the playground or this goes back to what my mum always said to me or this goes back to uh, what happened on that accident when I was five years old mm. and again recognising that is really helpful and mm. what may happen is that that was ticking along fine until something went wrong in the last mm. few weeks. So the two things have combined mm. um, to unpack what's gone on in the past mm. sometimes needs people who are really good at asking mm. the right questions mm. and uh, people who, who can really get to the heart of it and who don't say, oh, I've been through that, mm. or I know what that's like, but mm. are able to detach themselves and then mm. fully let a person talk it out. And very often, just being able to recognise how life has shaped us, how it's made us think things unhelpfully, uh, can bring healing. And when that's all surrounded with prayer and you're letting God direct those conversations, that's really helpful. However... 
if you do those two things, you're talking and you're praying, but on the five things that I talked about, it's getting to be really restrictive of normal life, then, then we'll need other interventions. Just to say, I think there'll be a lot of people in our country who are possibly nearing that middle point simply because of the pandemic yeah. and simply because what it's done to their jobs, yep. their finances, yep. the lack of social interaction, yep. seeing family. I think for a lot of people that will have been heightened. And I think it's really important to say you are, you're normal, yeah. that most of the country is really, really struggling yeah. at the moment. We're fed up with this. It's had a really negative effect on how we feel and our sense of well-being. And so we'd encourage people to talk and to pray. And that's probably one of the most helpful things. When you hear other people say, I'm really struggling too. Because at times mm. you think, is it just me that's going through this? But chatting with, I chat with loads of people in our community. Everybody is in the same boat. Yeah. We are fed up. This has done our head yeah. in to one yeah. degree or yeah. another. So there'll be a lot of people who want to say, that is normal. Talk and get somebody to pray with you, to pray for you. You pray yourself to God. It's just where we're at as a country at the moment. It's hugely important to talk. I mean, that's yeah. all, you know, that, that solves so much. Yeah. When stuff is in our head and we don't voice it, it, it just goes round and it becomes bigger or darker or, or whatever it is. It's really, and God created us to be in relationship, created yeah. us to be in community, created us yeah. to talk. And that's where, if we go back to the earlier question about the demonic, so, so very often I think the voice within you that says, keep this to yourself, don't tell anybody, that's one of the moments where you go, get behind me, Satan, that's yep. not of God. Yep. God wants me to share this. He wants me to talk yep. this out. Bible talks about the truth setting us free. Yeah. And there is something about that. When it comes out of your lips and you say it, yeah. it doesn't have the same power and yeah. potency. It loses it. Yeah. And the other person listening, hopefully, will just listen and love and affirm yeah. and yeah. won't react. And we'll talk about that later. Yeah, well, that's well, really important. Yes. <laughs> we've had some interesting experiences with that. So we've got to the middle point. What if talking and praying isn't enough? And mm. I, I use that, that, that phrase. Mm. It's always a really good thing. But mm. for some of us, we need a little bit more. Mm. When do we begin to think about professional help, seeing a doctor, medication, should Christians take antidepressants? All of these questions that are bubbling around. So before we get there, I would want to throw in some other things I think are really important. Uh, get outside. Yep. Uh, I, I'm a huge believer that God created the sun to help us. So being indoors, uh, vitamin D. D, really not helpful. Let's get outside. Let's do a little bit of exercise. Let's eat healthily. Oh Stop drinking uh, unhealthily. Mm -hmm. um, and try our best to go to bed at a sensible time and to wake up at the same time. So all of those things are God-given. It's the way designed and shaped our body. It's the way we're meant to operate. And all of those things are helpful. They're easy wins. They're easy wins. So it's not beyond the realms of impossibility that I can go for a walk or I can sit in the garden, yep. that I can have a structure as to when I go to bed and when I get up. And there are certain foods that we can eat that actually yep. have serotonin and other things that boost our mood and, and help us. Drinking water, making sure we drink enough water every yeah. day these are really simple things yeah. that we we always go for i need the big spiritual answer sometimes god says i've given you a brain 
I've given you bodies that will respond to certain things. Let's work together. And, mm. and, and so they're easy, easy wins in a sense. Mm. They may not be the whole answer and the solution, but there are things that we can begin to implement in our lives that kind of give us back a little bit of control thinking, I am doing something positive to begin to combat mm. how I'm feeling. And that in itself is really affirming and mm. helpful. It may not take away everything, but there's a sense of, okay, me and God, we're doing something about mm. this, and that's mm. good. Mm. So we've got those things that we can do. Yeah. What if we're still struggling? Let's go on to the whole antidepressants, medicine, medical intervention, all of those things, because again, there's a huge, huge stigma. Mm. When I was at Bible college, um, that's the first time I got depressed mm. <laughs> or it manifested itself in such a way that it was debilitating, mm. which I find quite amusing. Um, and I went to see uh, one of the lecturers and uh, they said, well, you know, if you want to, you can go to the doctor. But um, I would advise against you going on any antidepressants because any uh, Christian job that you go for in the future, they'll ask you and they'll hold that against you. Uh, so that was the conversation that I had, and I decided I'm going to go to the doctors. And I was in such a state that the doctor was great and talked me through a load of things, and in the end made the decision to go on a, a low dosage of antidepressants, which got me back on an even keel and helped me just to live and to process. I wasn't on them for a great deal of time, but I needed something just to calm my mind and everything else that was going on so that I could cope with life. Um, but that conversation with one of my tutors wasn't the most helpful, and there is this perception in Christianity that you shouldn't go on antidepressants. Now, you didn't ask me two key questions when I came for this job, did you? You didn't ask me if I'd ever been on antidepressants, and you didn't ask me if I'd been baptised. I was not the not leader of the church. Of, yeah. But that wasn't an issue. That was never something that, that was asked. And mm. mental health, we, we, you know, we ask people questions about how much time have you had off due to ill health in the past three years. Simple question, but it wouldn't mm. be something that's a game changer, game mm. alterer. If you struggle with your mental health, it's not, we're going to say no to somebody. Mm. So again, it, it's awful. Mm. <laughs> why, where, why has that happened? Why is it still happening? And what are the positives about having the right treatment for the right person? I think it's a very controversial issue, and I want to try and be as clear as you I like can. You controversy, don't you? Can we talk about Trump as well? <laughs> the, the difficulty... So, so medication does... An, uh, there's different medications for different things. Yeah. Where... If we go back to our first two reasons, you know, something's happened or there's been stuff in our life that we need to process medication will never solve those two things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So if medication is taken as an avoidance of thinking about or talking through or changing behaviours, then it's problematic. And there's a lot of debate as to whether too much medication is prescribed. I'm not an expert, but those who would say it is would say that medication is, is sometimes prescribed as an avoidance of the medical profession being able to talk with a person or an avoidance of a person talking through the difficulties in their life. Mm -hmm. So we, on the one hand, we need to say m medication is not the answer when there are other things that are there. But 
Medication does a number of things, and there are different kinds of medications. If we are unable to sleep, the spiral of not sleeping will cause the brain to begin to misfire. Yeah. Lack of sleep is, it causes delusions. It causes the brain to think too fast. So it may be that after a particular trauma and loss of sleep after a couple of nights and a person has lost the ability to sleep, medication to help that person sleep is really important to reboot the brain back onto the right level. People are always anxious about addictions. And again, we need to be clear, I am, I am addicted to water. There are no side effects and it's helpful, but if I go without it for more than a day, I'm in trouble. The issue with addiction is not that we might be addicted to something, it's whether it has detrimental side effects. That's really the issue. Some people will need to be on sleeping pills because their brain or body or whatever has lost the ability to sleep and the side effects, if there are any, are not damaging. But for many people, the side effects, which is a sort of dulled dopiness through the rest of the day, is too damaging to want to be on or to be on sleeping pills for a prolonged period. That's the judgment that experts, doctors need to make with the individual. And with you talking it through, describing how you feel through the day, describing what's caused you to lose sleep. So there's that whole area. Similarly with antidepressants, which just raise the level of hope, if you like, in a person, or the ability to cope. There will be times when a person can get so low that they're, they're spiraling and they, there is a real danger of self-harm, uh, serious danger of self-harm, and therefore medication is needed to, to lift them above that. Sometimes some people have a chemical imbalance that means if they don't take that medication, that is where they will be. And that therefore requires them to have that medication uh, permanently. And then the doctors have to assess what are the side effects and is that worth it? How do we monitor that? How do we check kidneys or whatever else? Blood pressure, all of those things. It's really important that doctors make those decisions. Um, but if, if our body chemically is not producing what it needs to produce to help me to cope with life, I thank God for the scientists who created the help for it. Um, I, uh, if I have a headache, I will take a paracetamol and I'll thank God for the people mm -hmm. who created it because my headache will disappear within an hour. Mm -hmm. And I'll thank God for that. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if I was taking paracetamol all the time and there was a risk to my, the rest of my body as a result of that and that I somehow, I didn't actually need to take it, but I think I do, then that would be, that would be problematic. These decisions are decisions that doctors need to take. I will encourage someone to go to a doctor where you can see that talking and all the other things we've talked about 
have not stopped the spiral into really destructive and damaging thought patterns. And that spiral needs to be arrested, otherwise there's a, a real risk of suicide or a real risk of someone ceasing to function in life. And that's where, you, where I will say you need to go and see a doctor. Particularly, so that's the second area, so is the area of low mood. The third big area for medication is uh, with psychosis. In other words, where people have unreal thoughts, unreal ideas, and that, in my experience, is invariably linked to, to some form of a brain uh, imbalance, either self-inflicted or more commonly it's just happened, it's just gone wrong and therefore medication uh, for me is essential. When a person is no longer interpreting reality correctly and they pose a risk to other people or themselves mm -hmm. because they, they think Satan is telling them this or they, they think that everybody's against them or whatever it is, then the antipsychotic drugs are really, really important. And so we encourage people to go and seek professional help. Absolutely. And it's between them and their doctor. Yes. We don't say you need to go on this or you need to go on that. But we get to a point where we recognise that actually it would be good for you to go and talk to somebody that mm. knows what they're talking about in this whole mm. area. I have a number of friends who take Sorry? insulin. Sorry. Who, who take insulin. Now... You wouldn't say they were addicted to insulin. You would say that's a fantastic, God-given uh, chemical intervention that enables their diabetes to not be debilitating. Yeah. Absolutely. But I wouldn't prescribe insulin. The doctor no. needs to do that, and the doctor monitors it. Yeah, doctors are very thorough at monitoring. Uh, they were with me. Do when I first had my bout of um, agoraphobia and depression, uh, no, the, the first part of agoraphobia, um, local doctor around here gave me a mental health nurse who met with me once a week. I had to go into the surgery. Uh, so alongside medication, there were CBT, other things that uh, they worked with me on. So it wasn't just let's chuck a drug at her. In fact, in that instance, they didn't give me any drugs. Mm. It was trying to work out what were the triggers in me that were causing the agoraphobia. How could we begin to work those out and changing the way that, that I thought? Mm. And so I did that in conjunction with prayer. So CBT prayer and talking with this guy once a week was, was really, really helpful yeah. for me. Uh, he understood the whole range of mental health issues and, and was able to give really helpful advice. And I had homework and a whole host of other things, but we're not experts. And we, we recognise that there are many gifted people out there that we're so grateful for that are in the medical profession and that are dealing with mental health that do know what they're doing. And so we would always encourage people to go and talk to your doctor. Yeah, yeah and I, where I, I would say that, that, that there are probably people that have come and spoken to me that has meant they didn't need to go and see a doctor. The skill that I need to have is to know when I am at the limit of what I can help with. And I don't think that's a weakness, I think that's a strength, is Absolutely. to say, okay, I know what I can do, yeah. and where we've got to now, we've worked through, we've asked some questions, we've, we've got to a point, this needs something else. Yeah. And, and that's, I'm delighted to be able to re refer and suggest people take other 
help. Now, it may be for some people that, as you've said, they might be on medication for a long time, maybe even the rest of their life, and that's okay if that's what's right for them. Other people may think they get to a point where they want to explore uh, stopping and coming off it. Again, at that point, we would say you need to go and talk to your doctor, a professional, and do it in a very slow in controlled way, because we know if you suddenly stop taking something, particularly in this area, it can have an incredibly detrimental effect on somebody's health. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, really important. The doctors know what that drug, how you come off an in particular drug. And sometimes I think, you know, maybe God did want, you know, I just think that we get, get that there's so too much risk in just stopping something and we dishonor God where perhaps he'd healed the sadness but we've caused ourselves our body damage by misusing something by just coming off it very quickly. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to finish by talking about um, what to do if somebody begins to talk to you about how they're feeling and the right response and reaction to that. But just before we do, um, I just want to throw in another question that we've had. It says, I don't know whether this is an appropriate question for questions of life, but sometimes I wonder whether having faith and knowing, believing that heaven is this lovely place gives a positive to choose suicide. You get to leave this place of sadness and go to live in the clouds. So for some people that are really struggling with depression at that end of the spectrum, this question, you know, this heaven's a far better place. Would it not just be better to go there now? We covered this last week, but mm. do you want to just quickly speak to that? Yeah, we did talk about it last week, so I would encourage people to watch that again on Taking a Life, and there's a part in that about suicide. Fundamentally, uh, our death damages other people, not us. And God doesn't want us to damage other people. He wants us to use our lives for his glory. There's things he wants us to do. However low we get and we think my life is useless, that's not how God sees it. There are things he wants to do through us that will bless and encourage and strengthen other people. Mm. But when we get to the point of feeling so low that we feel our life would be better without, if we died, we have to recognise that that will severely traumatise other people. Now, often we think at that moment, well, they don't care about us. Nobody cares about us. Nobody will miss me. And that's, if we go back to our spiritual thing, that's often a spiritual lie. Yeah. That's a delusional thought because there will be people who care and we didn't even know they cared mm. and we will really, really hurt them. Mm. And the, the sense of pain that somebody we know taking their life causes is, is horrendous. It's one of the worst mm. things and none of us should ever contemplate inflicting that on, a, some, on another person. Mm. Mm. Um, so part of me wants to say, try to find the hope that God will, can use you, will use you, will bring you through this. But if there's no hope, don't damage somebody else. Mm. Brilliant. So we're coming into land, our very last little bit. How do you uh, help and journey with someone that is struggling in this area? What are the do's and the don'ts? 
pray. Yeah. I really, really, really believe prayer makes a huge difference. When we bring someone to God, we pray with them, we pray for them. I've seen people who I thought hadn't, I couldn't see how we were going to shift something. We pray and we pray. Pray for someone. Listen. Listen without judgment. Listen without giving your own answers. Listen without telling them that you understand. You know, one of the phrases we've heard a lot at the moment, which I think is really helpful, we are not all in the same boat. We yeah. might be in the same storm, but we're mm -hmm. not in the same boat. Mm -hmm. Don't tell somebody that you know exactly what they feel because all the different factors of their situation mm -hmm. are unique. But, so you listen and don't shut them up. Let them cry. Let them be silent. Let them repeat themselves. Let them shout. Let them rant. Let it come out. I think it's a huge thing. Pray with someone, pray for someone, and listen. Offer them the gift of somebody who listens with grace and encouragement and care and faithfulness, who isn't frightened of, you, of their emotions, who isn't scared, who doesn't walk away, who doesn't give up, who doesn't judge, who doesn't condemn, who doesn't tell them to pull themselves together. Just, if we do that, all of that, that's fantastic. Mm. If you feel that what you are hearing is beyond, it's really worrying you, then you, we need to encourage that person to seek further help. So don't hold the, the burden of that. You, you push them towards further help, further help. Don't ever think, I need to be the saviour and I'll sort all of this. If, you just, if, if it's getting too much, we, we encourage them to have further help. And, but then don't give up. You walk with them. So if they go for further counselling or if they seek a doctor, you ask them how that's going, you talk with them, you, you maybe even go with them. Um, you say, let's go and, and see your GP. You can ask for an, uh, to have somebody else in the room. I'll be there. Whatever it is. But also recognise that they're an adult. And yeah. that they make their own choices. Yeah. In that you may try and lead a horse to water, but it's up to them whether they choose to drink. Um, yeah. And that's where prayer is really important. Yeah. That, that it may be that you say to somebody, I think you need some professional help, and they choose not to. That's very awkward and very difficult. And you don't give up and say, we'll stop you then, because yeah. you're not doing what I want you to do. Yeah. But that's a very awkward and difficult situation to find yourself in. And one of the... Absolutely right. One of the... One form of mental illness is to, in effect, carry the condition like my phone and say, you carry it for me. Yeah. And, 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 and they never get rid of it because they always want somebody else to carry it. And so sometimes the way we help someone is to, ref is to let them, is to not try and fix it for them because yeah. whatever we fix is never good enough. Yeah. And it's never the, the solution. So sometimes we walk with people and say, I can't fix this for you. You need to make that phone call. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. need to make that choice. And if you don't, it's fine. I'll keep praying. But I'm not going to do yeah. it for you. Yeah, because absolutely. Because that, that just pro prolongs the illness sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people get stuck in a rut of liking being defined by the label, the illness. I am such and such with such. Yes. And that's not helpful. Yes. And so we try not to perpetuate that and try not to help them see themselves through that eye. And that's difficult again. Yes. And I think we mustn't define ourselves by 
an illness. That's not who we are. No, absolutely. Closing. Somebody struggling with their mental health. Top tips. Top tip. Uh, firstly, don't beat yourself up. Recognise that everyone goes through this. Second top tip is just ask God for his help. Third top tip is to talk to somebody. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much for joining with us this evening, whether you're here, whether you are somewhere else at home around the country, out jogging, who knows where you are uh, watching or listening to this. It's been great to have you with us. If you have any follow-up questions or you really feel you need some help and someone to talk to, please do get in touch, qol at scbc.org.uk. We're not experts, we can't offer uh, CBT or anything like that, but we may be able to pray for you, to offer a listening ear, and to signpost you in the right direction.